0: Hello and welcome to BrailleCast. My name's Matthew Horspool and coming up this month...
1: I try not to argue with people, but what I would try to do is ask them some questions. Okay, then how would you become literate in a foreign language, leave aside becoming literate in your own language, which is also a problem. How would you play Sudoku? How would you read music? You just can't do these things without Braille.
0: A voice familiar to many of us. Dean Martineau joins us this month on the podcast to talk about virtual Braille teaching, Braille shorthand, the Orbit Reader 20, and much, much more. Some news before we get started with that interview though related to the strand of coronavirus known as COVID-19 which has gripped the world over the past few weeks. I did say at the start of the last episode that you might want to be careful because events are likely to be cancelled. That indeed is happening and we have some news from our friends over at UCAF, the UK Association for Accessible Formats, who've decided this year not to have their annual conference in person they are going to have an annual general meeting and that's going to be done online and for further information about that please do look at the ucaf website at www.ucaf that's U-K-A-A-F.org. also you might or might not know That the BrailleCast podcast, although it has a certain level of autonomy, is a project of the Braillists Foundation. And the Braillists Foundation have been doing some rather innovative things to bring people together in this climate of social isolation and social distancing. You can find the fruits of that labour at wwwbrailistsorg forward slash stay safe. That's wwwbrailistsorg forward slash stay safe. There's lots of advice and guidance on that page specifically for blind and partially sighted people, including advice on, for example, how to clean a braille display or how to clean a smartphone. We can provide that advice in braille, of course, as well as other alternative formats and there are various other initiatives which are are coming out of that webpage, so please do look at www.brailists.org stay safe for many in the blind community dean martineau will be a household name prolific in the technology sphere he's perhaps best known for his top tech Tidbits newsletter which has been published every thursday for over 10 years in the past, he was also the voice behind the Sound Computing Audio magazine and delivered bespoke technology training under the brand of Top. Enterprises. Towards the end of 2018, he started a new initiative which uses a combination of audio tutorials, electronic braille files and the Orbit Reader 20 to deliver personalised, long-distance instruction in the braille code. Dave and I caught up with Dean to find out more about the project and the person behind it shortly after he launched it in 2018. But it's only now that we're getting that interview out to you. And we apologise for the delay, but it really is a fabulous interview and we really do hope that you enjoy listening to it. We started off by asking him how he first learned the Braille code.
1: You know, I been totally blind since birth. I went to public school and actually my mum learned Braille and... Uh, the first three teachers i was going to have in school thought this was all so interesting that they learned it also i've never heard of that happening anywhere else the thing the thing i really remember about that was that um mum used to braille my books and she said the worst thing she ever did was we had the readers in the us the dick and jane books you know dick jane and sally americans will know of the, of my age and somewhat <laughs> younger, like they will Biff know about and them and in the uk i think probably and they were she said that was the absolutely most horrible thing she ever had to do but uh, the um They started me out reading left-handed, and I, you know, how can you find the next line? Well, I never had any problem finding the next line. All of a sudden, somebody heard somewhere that what you're supposed to do is have, you know, your right hand be ready to find the line to help your left hand find the line. Well, they tried to make me do that, and I saw no purpose to it. I could find the line just fine. Thank you very much. And so I would do that while they were standing there watching, and then as soon as they Turned away. I went back to normal reading, and they finally gave up on it. I wouldn't read what we called talking books, which were on records, and I, I would not read those. All I wanted to read was Braille. Until one day, Outpost of Jupiter by I think it's Lester Del Rey was on talking book, and all of a sudden, I, my aversion to talking books kind of vanished. But I still read a lot of both. What I do for reading, by the way, nowadays, I listen using mostly the iPhone with VoiceDream Reader if I'm going to just read something for recreation. But when I want to study, I want to do it in Braille.
2: Dean, how old were you when you started to learn Braille?
1: Back in those days, everybody started at age six or ish, six to seven in first grade. You know, kindergarten, which was the thing that happens before first grade, was pretty much playtime and maybe sort of being used to being in school.
2: And you mentioned there that um, you had an unorthodox Braille reading technique. Is that still the case?
1: Well, as a matter of fact, I'm dyslexic with my right hand. I cannot read with my right hand. I haven't timed myself in a long time, and I've slowed down on the Braille display. I don't think I go as fast, and I don't care anymore if I go that fast because what I'm usually doing is studying if I'm reading Braille to any degree. But I um, always read with my left hand and uh, can't do anything else.
0: It's interesting because I do the same thing. My right hand really struggles to read, but where I differ is that my right hand I do leave on the line to position myself properly, but it's always the left hand that does the reading itself. Dean, I understand you initially trained
2: in law.
1: Actually, that wasn't initial, my eternal lifelong quest to figure out what I'm going to do if I ever grow up. I started out studying French, and I found I liked it. And Luckily, I grew up back in the day when Hadley School offered a lot of interesting classes that they don't offer anymore, and one of which was French Contracted Braille. Well, how would I have even known that French Contracted Braille existed in the States? You know, that were, we're pretty provincial over here. So, um, you know, I learned French Contracted Braille. I got the manual and learned that, and that was cool. And I also learned Esperanto, which I did that in Braille and tape. And I ended up going to university, majoring in uh, French and ultimately Spanish, thinking I was going to teach school, which uh, that was a terrible idea. But I, having gotten the degree, it, it stood me in good stead anyway. I went on to study law later, and I did most of that in uh, with recorded books. But that was when I got the Braille and Speak. Well, those of us of my age and younger still remember how remarkable and revolutionary the Braille and Speak was to us. And uh, in the U.S., you go to law school for three years Really, you don't learn much of anything except kind of a thought process, and then you have to take this exam, the bar exam, if you're actually going to use law for anything, and then they actually teach you what you need to know to pass the bar. Well, they give you a bunch of materials, to read and study, and and I was able to get those in braille, and I attribute that fact to the fact that I that I passed the bar because I was able to study in braille.
2: But obviously, you know, these days we've got portable braille displays, but braille used to be quite bulky. And obviously, the process for writing braille, particularly on a Perkins, would be noisy. How did that work in law?
1: I never re- actually practiced law, but I did a couple of different things. I, I did mediation training for some years. And, but at that point, and boy, I sure wish I had, I didn't have a braille display. That was the 90s. They were just becoming somewhat available and were really pretty expensive. Uh, I got a used Braille Lite 40 which I loved and revolutionized my life, in like 2000, I think it was, moved on to the Braille Light Millennium in 2005, and I really loved that. And That, that thing, uh, I wish that that could have been updated, because that was a great machine as far as I was concerned for what I use. Uh, but so, uh, no, a Perkins would have been a problem. I, What happened here in the States, the children older than I, the ones that went to the schools for the blind, used to use slate and Stylus. And of course, they were rocket speed on the Slayton Stylus. I never gained that because I, I picked up the Slayton Stylus later. But I took notes throughout undergraduate with it. But once I got the Braille and Speak, I was finished with Slayton Stylus note-taking.
0: And the Braille and Speak, for those that are not familiar with it, is Braille input and speech output. So presumably, you'd have been wearing headphones when you were using the Braille and Speak
1: if i needed to read anything back yes i did that came out in what 87 88 and for a brief period there blind people had portable technology the level of which sighted people didn't have because you know we could do some pretty cool portable things with that device
2: and what's your take on on the way the braille landscape has changed over the years in terms of devices and and the role of braille
1: well I suspect neither one of you would have any patience with the argument, oh, we don't need Braille anymore. Uh, Braille is not necessary. I try not to argue with people, but what I would try to do is ask them some questions. Okay, then how would you become literate in a foreign language, leave aside becoming literate in your own language, which is also a problem. How would you play Sudoku? How would you read music? You just can't do these things without Braille, all of which I've been able to do with Braille to one degree or another at different times. And so... Overall, I mean, if if you're going to be blind, now is the time to do it, not the past. And not to say there's not all kinds of difficulties. It was kind of funny one day at a convention of the blind, a bunch of us were having a what's the thing that bothers you the most about being blind discussion. And one person, you know, she can't go places every time whenever she wants to. Somebody else wanted to window shop. But for me, it's I couldn't read what I want to read when I want to read it. Well, now I really pretty much can between, you know, if I have to buy a print book and scan it I can buy it on Amazon and read it either in Braille or synthetic speech. But I, you know, all these things I can do now that I couldn't do before. And an awful lot of that has to do with the changes in Braille technology. And I'm fortunate enough to have a somewhat outmoded but wonderful BrailleSense U2 Mini that is with me all the time, which enables me to be much more effective with my phone than I would be without it, and also to read and do all kinds of work when with Braille with it. At the same time, I'm following a lot of discussions on mailing lists. We're not out of the woods yet. There's a lot of Braille devices, but most of them don't work as well as advertised. So trying to find one that you can really rely on, that is going to have good maintenance from the company that sells it, doesn't happen a high percentage of the time. They've become less expensive, but some of them have also become really cheap.
2: And what do you make of the latest uh, crop of low-cost Braille displays? Do you think reliability is the big kind of bugbear?
1: Uh, there's an awful lot I, I think there are people in the blind community who assume everybody's out to get us and everybody's out to rip us off. There may be a few people who are. I don't know. But an awful lot of people aren't. They're really out to try to be helpful. However, they've cut corners in ways that end up not working very well. You, know, you have two low cost devices. I, don't, I haven't seen the Braille Me, which is the one that comes from India, which in the U.S. is sold by National Braille Press. I've kind of heard that there are a lot of problems with them. They're having trouble getting devices. From what I'm understanding, the APH here is having trouble getting Orbit Readers. They're on back order and they're not exactly sure when that's going to be uh, caught up. So as we'll talk about, I'm pretty impressed with the Orbit Reader as a solid device that I think has a lot of potential for a lot of people. But if they can't be produced and delivered because well-meaning people Are making them low cost but they they can't meet the need at that low cost then that's a problem
2: so dean you've recently uh, got involved in braille teaching braille training talk us through how your braille teaching initiative works
1: well we're going to find out when we actually do it aren't we because this is a total experiment i've been paperless for like hmm, probably somewhere in my braille light days I would use labels. I don't have much reason to at the moment, but that's probably what I would use. But I don't read anything in paper. And I think there's not a lot of reason to for people right now. I believe there's a population out there, maybe not large, but a population out there of people losing their vision, who have their senses, who can learn Braille, and who, if given the proper environment to do so, can even become Braille readers. I think it's more likely to happen on an electronic device. I mean you can get all so much literature that way in the developed and even some developing countries nowadays and so uh, I think it's the Braille is more prominent on like say the orbit reader it's easier to feel Uh, you don't have the tracking issues because I mean you're just tracking one line. So I have these hypotheses that I'm sort of testing and we'll see if they get tested. I have a few students that are going to start. I didn't really develop the materials until they do. Sally Mangold used to produce a lot. She's a special educator in the U.S., and she put out a lot of uh, material about teaching Braille and Braille readiness and Braille teaching procedures, so I've kind of studied as much as I could get my hands on of her because my impression is she knew what she was talking about. So what I'm going to do for the people who sign up is... I'm going to give you an SD card, although I've been lucky the people so far that have signed up, they know how to copy files onto their SD card, so I don't even have to do that. And I'm going to make audio files describing you know, what I want you to do and what's on your display so that you can read it and get answers and and this kind of thing. I don't know how it's going to work. I believe it will, but then you know, maybe it won't. Maybe it'll be a flop for people. I think it won't be a flop. Some of the people that are signed up, they either already know some Braille and they want to brush up and get better at it, or they have reasons because of their rehab teachers and they realize that they might be going to lose the rest of their vision and they kind of want to get a head start on it. So I think people will gain some from it. What I'm going to do is not go in alphabetical order. I'm going to take you know letters that are very different from each other and introduce those. And then I'll be introducing the single cell word signs and some even of the to sell word signs at the same time, because that's a different cognitive thing. And for a lot of people, that's not very difficult and they can practice it. So, you know, we're gonna see what happens. I mean, obviously people have to spend the money to get their unit. The reason nobody else is doing this is because of money. I mean, everybody, rehab agencies in the States, you know, you do paper braille because that's what they can afford. And uh, that's true of everywhere. But I, I just kind of wonder if there might not be better ways to do it and we'll find out, maybe I'm dead wrong.
0: Well, there's a precedent for long-distance Braille teaching sort of like this. Certainly over in the UK, there's a chap called um, Nigel Berry. He produced the fingerprint course, which was paper-based, but could be done by oneself. You you could get audio tapes to go along with
1: it. I've heard the fingerprint course was sort of hard to get a hold of. And of course, Hadley School in the US does that too.
0: Mm, I think there may have been some production delays with fingerprint transitioning over to UEB. And, um, this was sort of where I was going to come onto to next. How far out are you going? I mean, are you limiting it to people in the u s or if somebody from the u k wanted to do it it's long distance so presumably and and with u e b there's no code difference, so presumably there'd be no technical limitation for that.
1: No, in fact, i've got a couple of my students are are in the u k at least one that i'm she's already knows some braille, but she thinks she could probably do it better and and wants to brush up and and sort of make a new start. That's one thing that this will offer. If you haven't, chances are fairly good. I mean, all the methods I've seen in the U.S. go alphabetically. And that's maybe a little bit difficult because the first 10 letters of the alphabet, they feel pretty similar. You know, whereas if you throw somebody a T and then an L and then a, an A, a B, a C, and then a, you know, those letters feel fairly different from each other. And I'm hoping that that will make people, you know, will help people to learn more easily
2: so so you're developing a new curriculum essentially um, for for teaching braille because the the sort of thing that um fingerprint does i'm not sure if you've had the opportunity to review no i've never seen seen it um but they will uh, start off with you know spotting the the odd one out for example so you might get a line of a's and somewhere in that line of a's there might be an l Mm. for example uh which obviously feels quite different and then you might get C's, and then you might get a G somewhere in there, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, th- so that's the sort of approach.
0: Is that, was that a fair summary, Matthew? That's the kind of approach they take to start off? Certainly in the initial stages, and then they move very quickly on to letters that can make up whole words. Um, so you end up with Bill and Jane, two principal characters, because their, their names are comprised of letters that feel different
1: yeah, that's probably a better program than I have that I'm making. I haven't seen it. And uh, I'm going to try to do some things like that. But, you know, I'm kind of an amateur.
2: An enthusiastic one, though. And so your um, approach, you've basically said that you think single line is all you really need at the moment. So you're not concerned with things like layout, then you're just going to teach the code.
1: Right, I'm going to teach the code. I mean, it's I guess that's my personal bias. I read a lot of text. I read a lot of, you know, so I don't worry very much about layout. I mean, well, this is going to kind of go where people take it. If I end up with users who need that information, and I mean, we'll go, we'll see where we end up. I don't honestly know where I'm going to end up. I want to help, and maybe I'll only help one or two people. I don't know. But, you know, people who haven't found satisfaction learning Braille the way they could learn it before. Uh, in the other approaches or never really got any speed. I mean, how many people do you know of? Yeah, okay, they learned through one of the correspondence methods and they maybe they read, you know, enough to label, but they don't really read enough to read books. Now, for a lot of people, they don't care. And I am insisting that if you're going to do this, you have to be willing to practice. You have to spend time. And many people can't or won't spend time. You know, I, obviously, as a child, I don't know about the two of you, if you were children Dealing with Braille, but you know, I wanted to read Braille as a child. There wasn't any kind of hardship for me. That's kind of what I wanted to do.
0: Well, and even if I didn't want to, I had to.
1: <laughs> well, right, you know, choice. Yeah, you
2: know, that too. You know, I hated it. I resisted Braille like you wouldn't believe. And uh, it wasn't until I got into uh, employment and started a family that I really began to value it because there were certain tasks uh, like delivering a presentation or the bedtime story that were only really possible if I had Braille, you know. So I went back to it, and I really started working hard on on trying to improve it again. You know, and I'm not the fastest or anything like that, but uh, I think I use Braille enough and well enough for it to be useful, and that's ultimately what it's about.
1: Didn't you read The Martian on a Braille display when when you were commuting? I did, yeah, Yeah. Uh,
2: on a (laughs) 20-cell. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, you know, there was a study out of France that showed, and I I tend to agree with it. I always thought, oh, I'd never want to use a 20-cell. Now I wouldn't want to use anything else. I don't like to have the long arm swing.
2: I think 32 is about as far as I would want to go, I think. So you're really looking for people who are prepared to kind of be guinea pigs and go on the journey a little bit on this, Dean. You're right up front saying, look, this isn't fully formed yet. We need people who are willing to take a little bit of a leap of faith and kind of go with you on this journey to see whether Braille can be taught remotely in this way.
1: Yes, and people who think they might want to read Braille. If you know that all you're going to want to do is label then no, you can take Hadley courses in the U.S. Uh, actually, you can take Hadley courses from anywhere, and they're good. And they have you know you get pretty good support. And then uh, I don't fingerprints. I think you have to buy that material, but that's okay. I mean that's an option. And and I noticed that I from what I've been hearing on that Tech Talk podcast, there are depending on what council you're in, there are people that will help you read Braille, learn Braille locally.
2: So how far do you think you, you might go with this then? So are you thinking it's just going to be literary Braille or how about, you know, technical subjects?
1: I'm thinking literary. For one thing, I don't know technical subjects very well. Not that I can't learn UEB math or Nemeth and all that kind of thing or however it's going to work and I don't even know. So, no, I'm. this is at the moment aimed for adults, presumably somewhat older adults who either professionally or personally want to read Braille. And I can certainly give them the skills to get where they need to go. And then, if they need to get into technical material, by then they'll have some ability to do it themselves. Because that's not my strength at all. I mean, I could gain it, but I don't really have it.
2: And how about that? UEB math or Nemeth?
1: I don't even know much about UEB math. I've heard, you know, I know there's some rumblings that UEB math's a, not a good system. I don't know. I, as I say, I don't really do much with math. I uh, didn't taken off a lot of maths, as you call it in school. I got as far as geometry. Nowadays, people go a lot farther than that. At the same time, I know that through some of the technology out there, you can translate an awful lot of maths into, into Braille if you have the right stuff. So it's kind of cool.
2: Okay, because I know it's been a bit of a battleground in, in the US.
1: Oh, yeah. I haven't followed it much because it isn't of a lot of concern to me at the present. Maybe it'll become so sometime. But uh, I tend to be kind of more in the philosophical, literary end of things. So uh, not not getting very involved in technical things. I'm glad somebody is. I'm glad that that kind of capability exists now, like it in many ways never existed before.
2: So given that, you know, Hadley offers some uh, Braille classes or Braille tuition, and uh, people, of course, can get fingerprint from RNIB in the UK, where did the notion uh, that you could deliver uh, some kind of remote... Braille training come from?
1: Uh, that's a really good question. I mean, for a while I've been thinking, gosh, you know, it's it's just too bad people can't learn on a Braille display because it's better. I mean, you know why in the U.S. you can get paper Braille through the National Library system, but you can get so much more electronic Braille if you're willing to put up with Bookshare, which may be a little bit, some of the translation may or may not be great. Um, some of the texts aren't perfect. And, and Kindle also nowadays, which if you know how to do it, you can uh, turn those things into Braille. So really the amount of braille that's available electronically so far outstrips what's available in, in paper that, uh, and not we all talked about the, the bulk of paper and the, the relative scarce somewhat scarcity of it. So I don't know, that idea has kind of been floating around for a while in my mind. And then when the orbit reader came out, I thought it kind of came to me that, well, this is a way this could be done. Uh, for a more in a more affordable way, to me, and I think we'll get into this, the Orbit Reader makes a, a perfect package for for learning and for a lot of people, it's a perfect package for use.
2: Why is that? Could you not offer this to, for a, trad- a user of a traditional uh, Braille display? Well,
1: and of course, and at least one of my used students is going to use a mini Seca. You can use whatever display you want. I'm I'm just setting it up for the Orbit Reader because I have one and because it's kind of doable. I can give audio instructions using the Orbit for how to open a particular file without you knowing anything about how to read Braille or how to actually identify whether you've opened that file or not. And it's solid. It's, for a reading device, I think it's pretty well designed. You can lo- load large documents in it. You can search them. You can, so for the, when, somebody when they're more advanced at that price, except for the noise and lack of cursor routing keys, which is Problem, it's uh, it's a very handy device.
2: Share with us your teaching credentials because obviously you offered training through Top Dot.
1: Well, teaching credentials in the blind world, unfortunately, anybody can label themselves an adaptive technology trainer. That's not necessarily a good thing. I don't have any. I mean, I have a BA in education, and I have experience. Actually, I have for the last. 18 years i've been doing kind of a niche thing which is one of the reasons that top dot enterprise has kind of died and it may in a different form be starting up again a little sneak piece of information i was part of a contract team that would go into i still am part of a contract team that we go into social security offices that's a government agency in the u.s that provides retirement and disability payments and they had they hire used to hire more but they still hire some blind employees and i'm part of this team that teaches those people how to use their computer systems so you know i've got some documented experience how many credentials i have well that's perhaps a problem but then that's kind of the way the industry is
2: obviously you have an orbit reader and you're using that personally what what do you think about it has it replace the uh, traditional braille display in your life
1: no it would only replace the traditional braille display in my life is the traditional braille display died i'm a braille and speech user so i as i mentioned before i do a lot of my reading with synthetic speech if i'm not studying i just want to read something i just uh, let it go with a moderate clip some people say it's fast i know there are a lot of people that read a lot faster than i do with Voice Dream Reader on the iPhone or with uh, Human Reader if I decide I want to use that or with even Eloquence on the Braille Sense U2 Mini, which I like. You know, some of us old-timers still like Eloquence. So I like the fact that that device can be both Braille and speech and I can listen to music, I can read in whatever modality I want to read, uh, I can write on it well. So I don't call it a note-taker, I call it a tablet. Uh, The Orbit, of course, doesn't have the audio component and the little noise it makes when I'm lying in bed next to my wife, if she's asleep, I can be reading Braille, and she's none the wiser and isn't disturbed by it. That wouldn't happen with the Orbit. In fact, there was a good story uh, on a mailing list a while back where there's a a blind mother and a, uh, a blind child, and they're taking a nap together, and mom is lying there reading, using her Orbit with her iPhone to do something or other, and the child wakes up and reaches over and pats the Orbit and says, shh, (laughs)
0: because it it
1: makes a little as if you haven't heard it it makes a little sort of uh, scratching noise as you move from one display you know sort of rapid clicking noise as you go from one uh, display to the next now if it was the only thing i had i would be really happy with it compared to nothing i mean i was able to afford a three thousand dollar device that's not a common thing in the blind community even four hundred and fifty I don't know how many pounds they are in the UK, but 450, that's still a lot of money for some people, but there's chances you can get that subsidized, there's chances you can get assistance, you know, it's a little more within reach if the units can be made available.
2: And it's, to me, it's like you said, you know, being kind of bimodal and using speech and braille, it shouldn't be a question of speech or braille, it should be both, and use both of them to their strengths.
1: Well, I don't see how people, I mean, I know they do, and some have no choice, but I don't see how you get along in a lot of jobs as just a speech user. I know that people do it, but the jobs I've seen, I sure Braille would sure be would sure enhance the use you know, the the ability to perform the job. And
2: you know, every day I find that in my line of work, and uh, well, I'm sure Matthew does too.
0: Oh well, even before I worked in Braille, yeah.
2: So you've already said that twenty cells for you is not a limitation. But then, am I right in saying you've developed a a shorthand?
1: Well, yes. History of this is when blind people of my generation, a lot of us in the U.S., learned grade three Braille in order to take notes on our slate and styluses in in college, university. And I would say that a lot of those people that, that, that I studied with didn't really learn it very well and didn't really retain much of it. I retained quite a bit of it cuz I'm kind of a code fan. I mean, I learned French Braille and I've learned Spanish Braille and I I kind of enjoy this kind of thing. I, I, I consider it to be the evidence of a of a warped mind and of somebody sometimes with a little too much time on their hands. So I learned grade 3 and I always kind of followed the shorthand thing in the 80s some Australians and I don't uh, they they came up with something called Braille user oriented code and they Put out a thermoform everybody remember thermoform a thermoformed book with all the uh, contractions that braille user-oriented code had and they were really hoping that it would be adopted by the general australian braille authority which it wasn't and actually i'm not even sure you can find that document anymore but that was cool and i got a lot of good ideas for contractions from that you mentioned baha'i perspective uh, a while back I do a lot of studying of things related to the Baha'i faith. Well, the name of the founder of the Baha'i faith is Baha'u'llah. And that then takes up, I don't remember, 13 or 14 characters of my 18 character display gets a little annoying. You know, you want to get getting one word on the line. And of course, all kinds of words are just one word on a line on 18 cell display. So, I started out sort of tentatively thinking, well, I am going to start shortening things down a little bit so that I won't have this annoyance. And once the bug started, it simply never stopped. And so I now have compressed Braille, which I take and translate a lot of my documents that I'm going to study into. And I keep shortening things as they go along. A lot of people have developed their own shorthand in, in university, you know, I mean, everybody shortened things as they could, as they needed to. Uh, the difference with what I've done, because I had the time to to do it, and sort of everybody else, maybe they were doing useful things for humanity, or maybe they were watching television, or maybe they were, you know, hanging out with their family. All these things, the beneficial things that people do. And I'm I'm sitting here working on my compressed braille code. So it's now it's pretty compressed, and it's not designed for speed, obviously. And it's so compressed that I. I've developed it. Now I have to learn it because there's an awful lot of, there's 7,100 rules of global replacements that take place in order to turn a a document into this code. Rather absurd, but it's been something I've enjoyed and uh, I enjoy reading with it because then, you know, I can get several words on a line, whereas before I might get one word on a line. Not sure there's too much benefit to anybody else for this, but it's, I've had a lot of fun with it.
0: There's benefit to the concept, though, isn't there, of shorthand Braille? I'm sure there are lots of people who actually probably wouldn't have the wherewithal to want to develop their own shorthand code, but who nonetheless, if they were given a shorthand code, would benefit from it.
1: Um, Maybe. I think some, you know, and, and I mean, if anybody really wants to, I can help you develop your own personal, it's not shorthand code, it isn't that difficult we can figure out things that you could do. I don't know how much interest there is. I wish there was more interest. I think there are those people who who struggle to learn the contractions they've learned. Perhaps that's one of the reasons UEB was put into effect to you know make it simpler for people. That isn't the only reason, and I wasn't involved in any of the discussion. Nobody consulted me about UEB. Gee, I don't know why not. But the uh,
2: the, the, I mean, when they converted uh, Standard English Braille, you know, uh, there was 189 contractions, and I think in UEB there's 180. And the reasons given for removing the nine was that simplification reason uh, to try and make it easier to translate more robustly with software and also to simplify the teaching of braille i understand your point around yes it's great if you can get more content in less space um it makes it potentially you know more efficient and uh you know, perhaps quicker to write, and and maybe once you've learned it, quicker to read. But I think for a lot of people, it's such an uphill struggle even to get to contracted Braille, or am I just setting my expectations too low?
1: Well, no. I, I mean, I think this is an oddball thing of mine. This is something that I like. I know there are a few other people out there who would like to do something similar, but not very many, And for all the reasons that you mentioned. And UEB, there were a lot of good reasons for it. Maybe I wish that they had kept contractions or added some other ones i think there may be even a certain amount of dumbing down as there is in a lot of areas in life now but there were a lot of good reasons why ueb had to happen
2: but given you know what matthew was saying about there's merit in the concept is there do you think any opportunity for resurrecting one of the old uh, braille shorthand codes like grade three which, which, you know, you, you said earlier almost as though everybody learned grade three. I know one person who knows grade three.
1: Yeah, nobody knows it. In the day, they would ship all the blind students off to one form or another of college prep program to get us ready for university back in the day when there were a lot of us, you know, that had mostly had, you know, retinopathy of prematurity or retrolental fibroplasia, whatever you want to call the cause of blindness that a lot of us have. And people learned it to one degree or another. But people didn't tend to stick to it. You can still get, there's a couple National Library Service has a couple of grade three Braille teaching books you can download. I don't know about the British Braille shorthand. I only saw that once, and I don't know if that manual is still available anywhere. But interestingly, I noticed when I delved into German a few years ago, German Braille, there is a German, uh, an official German Braille shorthand system that one can presumably find somewhere if one gets into it. But no, this most people don't get the speed and fluency with Braille reading anyway. I mean, how many people do you know that read Braille really rapidly, really fluently? There are some. There are, there are a number. I'm trying to help there be more, but I don't know how many there really are. Some of that is low expectations, I think, on the part of teachers. And some of that just individual differences.
2: Dean, this has been a really fascinating conversation and uh, I really appreciate you joining us uh, here on the BrailleCast. Where can people find out more?
1: Well, if anybody wants to ask any questions about any of this, if you want to try learning Braille, I don't know how many non-Braille readers listen to BrailleCast, but hopefully a few do, or you maybe you know somebody who's in this situation because people are staying alive longer and they're in better health and they have more of their faculties and they're losing their vision, people can write to me at topdot at gmail.com.
0: Topdot at gmail.com. That's t-o-p-d-o-t at gmail.com. And we will, of course, put a link to that email address in the show notes. That brings to a close this episode of BrailleCast. We hope you enjoyed that interview with Dean as much as we enjoyed recording it. And we extend our thanks to Dean once again for agreeing to be on the show. If you've got anything that you would like us to include, then please do email us. The email address is news at BrailleCast.com. That's news at BrailleCast.com. For now, though, from myself and Dave and all of the BrailleCast team, thanks for listening and bye, fellas now.